Let's read Philippians 2, chapter 12, and then my wife will pray for us. I'm sorry, Philippians 2, verse 12. All right, and then she'll pray for us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to come together today to worship you and be amongst others who love you. Um, Lord, let us do this with a joyous heart. Um, as it says in your scriptures, we are not always grateful or glad um, to be your disciples. Um, it is hard work that you call us to, but I pray that you would be at work in our heart and that you would change it and that you would um, give us the faith that we need and the joy um, that we need to do your work well. Um, as you did your work, uh, laying down your life for us with a glad heart and with much love, let us do so as you've called us to um, be disciples to others. We pray that you be with our pastor today as he delivers this word, and Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to um, receiving your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Isn't she great, though? Oh, I wish we had time to unpack that. That's amazing. Thank you, Eddie. I'm sure your wife will have a conversation with you on the way to lunch. That's amazing. We just peaked right there. Everything else is downhill right from there. Hey, we are in uh, the book of Philippians. We're walking through week by week in, uh, in this beautiful book. It's this journey of joy. It's this epistle of joy, which Paul is writing, as I would remind you, from a jail in Rome, and so it's a very difficult uh, uh, circumstance that Paul finds himself in, and yet he's, fine, he's writing about the happiest thing that you could think about, and that is joy itself. As a reminder of where we were last week, because if we know anything about the scriptures, if you're reading the scriptures, um, this first word says, therefore, so we've got to understand what therefore is there for. And in order to understand that, we have to go back to last week. And if we see this, what we see is this beautiful picture of, of this personification of humility in Jesus himself. And the Bible says, who though was in the form of God, the very essence of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be clung onto, as if he just had to have it. But he gave it up, it says. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The essence of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And I don't know if you get to the end of that and you ask the same question that I ask, but I'll invite you to ask it here. Now what? So, so, so God leaves heaven, the God of all creation, the God who created all things, right? This is an almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient God who's holy and magnificent beyond we could ever imagine, anything we could ever imagine, and he comes to earth making himself the lowest form that he could make, a servant becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross, 
which would have been a curse to him according to Jewish law. Now what? Does it make any difference in the day in and the day out of your life? Now what? So what? And that's exactly what Paul is going to help us understand, like, okay, if God did all of that, and he was exalted to the highest station, name above every name, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, what does that mean for us? What implications are there for the ongoing life that we Christians have? What does it mean to, get, to even get baptized and then all of a sudden walk this life? What does that look like? What are we supposed to prioritize well, Paul is going to help us understand this, and I'll say this as we get through this. Today, in the, the passage, or the, the title of today's sermon is, Salvation is Worth the Work. And you're thinking, hold up a second. We are Protestants, sir. We don't work for our salvation. I know. Just keep listening, because this is a problem passage for many, that if we read it, we go, well, hold up now. I thought this was salvation by grace alone through faith alone, and here we are now talking about working. But let's be very clear, and let's clear it up from the get-go, since I have your attention. We're not talking about working for salvation. We're talking about working out your salvation. Big, huge difference that we'll unpack as we go. I think um, there are two images that come to mind when we think about salvation, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. The truth is, we're not working for our salvation, we're working out our salvation, and those two images that come to mind are these. First and foremost is what will come up on the screen, and this is uh, just a little fun for us. It's our get out of hell free card. Not community chest, it's community church. And you just get your, your, your get out of hell free card, it's fire insurance. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. And we go, well, what does that actually mean for your life? Nothing, but I'm not going to hell when I die. And that's pretty much all you can think about. Eternal life is really just something in the future, has no implication to the here and now. That's one picture that we see in, a, in the American church. The other picture that we would see is not this get out of hell free card, but it's this picture at the end of Saving Private Ryan, if you're old enough to have seen this movie. You remember the end of Saving Private Ryan? After everything they went through, after all the chaos and all the, the casualties of that company, Captain Miller is shot and he's mortally wounded. Do you remember this on the bridge? And he's in that little town and they're all on this mission to save Private Ryan. And he's at the end of the, his life. He's just been shot in this battle. And he pulls Private Ryan a little closer and he whispers something to him. And what does he whisper to him? Earn this. Awesome movie terrible ending because you know what Jesus didn't do at the end of his life earn this no he earned it on our behalf we've got two pictures get out of hell free and then I've got to earn God's favor somehow that we we if you if you fast forward remember the end of Savior Private Ryan where it kind of morphs into the old man and he's at the grave, and he's like, he is broken. He's a broken old man 50 years later. And he's like, I did everything I could. I hope I earned it. Let us not be a people that get to the end of our lives and try and face Jesus and say, I did everything I can. I hope you'll accept me. That's every religion in the world is not Christianity. That's not good news, y'all. The good news is that you can't earn it. Someone earned it on your behalf, and then he gave you the earnings. That's the good news of Jesus. And so we think about working out our salvation, 
It's worth the work. We're not talking about um, working for salvation, earning it. We're talking about the reality that someone else has earned it on our behalf, and we get the freedom that comes with that. Now, here's, here's the trouble. Because there's freedom, and when we have freedom, there's all kinds of scriptures that tell us, hey, don't abuse your freedom. Don't take advantage of your freedom. And I think in the American church, we've gone on the other side, which is why I say there's that little bit like a get out of hell free card. Like, oh, well, it's all by grace, and so it doesn't really matter how I live. It does. And so the church many times looks a little bit more like Planet Fitness. Like, I've actually never been to a Planet Fitness, so somebody's going to correct me on this, I'm sure. But here's my perception of Planet Fitness. Um, $1 earning fee, $10 a month, gets you access to all these things, and then no one ever goes. And so they're just kind of a business model, and, and they're just banking on the fact that they can sign up mass amounts of people with no real buy-in. And the church, if we're not careful, will turn into this, maybe has turned into this. I mean, from generations of old, we've said things like short services, awesome band, relevant speaker. Like, don't let the church inconvenience your lives too much. Just a dollar to buy in, $10 a month. And if you come, that's great. If you don't come, we at least get your money. That's trouble if we're not careful. And instead, Paul is calling us to work out. Like, I don't know about you, but I've been a part of other workout sessions like F45 and CrossFit. It costs a lot of money, y'all. Like so much so that I don't want to do it anymore. And I haven't. <laughs> but when, I, when it costs me more, I'm way more bought in. And y'all know that that's a principle in your life too. When it costs you more, when you realize the cost of this whole thing, man, you're way more bought in. If you think it's just cheap grace, then live cheap. But if you think the God of heaven actually left heaven for you, there's no way that you, you can approach that truth unchanged. So Paul leads us, and he says, this salvation is worth the work. And he gives us two commands and one image that will shape our time. The first command is this, work out your salvation, right there in chapter 2, 12 and 13. I'll read it. Therefore, my beloved, look, he's talking to Christians here now. That's why we can say very clearly he's working out our salvation, not working for salvation. My beloved, you Christians, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but also how much more in my absence, a.k.a. don't just like take obedience seriously when you see me coming around. I'll be in prison for a while, Paul is saying, and I'll be absent from your church for a little bit. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue obedience I mean, y'all know this. If you've raised teenagers or you were a teenager, when your parents weren't around, you acted a fool, right? No, somebody just goes, absolutely not. I would never do that. Apparently, your parents are not here now, acting a fool. But when they're around, like you're, you're kind of paying attention a little bit to what they say or what they do, you know this. And this is the same thing that we all have a tendency to do, even with our spiritual leaders. And what Paul is saying is, man, don't let their, your spiritual leaders' presence or absence affect whether or not you care about obedience. Because guess who's never absent? The one who's exalted above every name. Jesus watching over everything. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping over the evil and the good. Oh, man, he's everywhere. And he's watching. Work out your salvation, he would say. Right? Not, not working for, but working out. This word for working out 
I know that all of you were wondering this, and how do you spell it? It's katergazomai. Katergazomai, which means this, to dedicate your life to something so as to achieve a result. Does your salvation look like a dedication of your whole life? Or is it a dedication of an hour and a half on a Sunday? Your whole life being given to that and he who gave everything for you. I had a professor in seminary, and he would often open um, the semester like this. And he would say, ladies and gentlemen of the faith, if you are in a dry spell in your Christian life, or you are wondering why you have not borne more spiritual fruit, or why you are not closer to God, or you want to know why you're not growing in Christ, why you're not becoming a godly man or a godly woman, why you don't look more like Jesus, look no further than the second part of verse 12, which says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he would continue on, and he says, if you want to be all those things, if you want to be more like Jesus, get to work. Boy, that's anti-Christian culture these days, but yet so pro what the, the Bible is all about, that this, this Christian life is going to take all kinds of effort if we're going to see the fruit which God promises, right? Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Oh, if we only knew how hard it was to abide when he said those things. It takes all of our effort and all of life. You see, here's the thing. This workout that God is putting before us, I asked and texted a few people that work out, let's just say, a lot more than me. And um, they gave me some, some essentials on what a good workout plan is all about. Like, why do workout routines succeed? And I think you can pull it right over to the spiritual life. Number one, you need a good plan. You need a good plan if you're going to work out your salvation. There isn't a fit person on the planet that just became that way by accident. You see, sometimes in the Christian life, we confuse aging with maturing. We're all going to get older, but not all of us are going to grow up. And we've got to get to the point where we don't just think that we're going to slide into maturity you see, it, it does not happen by accident. In fact, because of the spiritual nature that we have, you will drift away from Jesus, but you never drift into him. It takes intentional effort if you and I are going to mature in the faith. As a matter of fact, Dallas Willard says this. Y'all listen to this now. This is, if you want to read a good book in 2023, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. It will change your life, and that's not an understatement. Dallas Willard, Renovation of the Heart, and he says this. The problem of spiritual transformation among those who identify themselves as Christians today, ooh, that's me, but don't raise your hand yet, is not that it is impossible or, uh, or that effectual means to it are not available, that transformation. The problem is that it's not intended. People do not see it and its value and decide to carry through with it. They do not decide to do the things that Jesus did and said. Mm, that's a gut punch. First thing that we need in a good, in a good workout uh, success plan is that plan. The second thing we need is we need people to encourage us and hold us accountable. You see, it says, work out your own salvation. Isn't that what your Bible says? Is what mine says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so there is this individual accountability. And what the, the English translation of this misses 
is that um, ultimately, work out and do all things are plural verbs. In other words, this is a communal event for us to take our individual growth seriously. It happens best inside of community and others who will help you along the way. The third thing that we need in a good workout plan, especially if we're going to work out our salvation, we've got to measure our progress. Too many of us are too busy flexing in the mirror like you're alone at a gym. Did you ever do this? I did this. We used to call it meeting out. Back in high school, we would go to the gym. 24-hour fitness used to actually be 24 hours. And so we were idiots, and we would go work out at 2 in the morning because it's what you do in high school. And we would go, yeah, I know. My mom was very shocked. Um, I lived at her house during that time. You did what? Yes, we would wear, uh, I can't even say the word, but we wear those white tank tops. We'd, we used to call them something else, right? We'd wear those white tank tops, and we, we'd go in, we'd, we'd like lift a weight, and we'd just start flexing in the mirror like we're something. We would never do that if anybody else was around. And if we did, oh, help, help, just, hmm. I hope we didn't do that when other people were around. I can never verify my memories, but I hope we didn't. But we, we're too busy flexing in the mirror as Christians, looking at one another and being like, man, we're awesome, or we're not awesome, because they're greater than me. Man, there's no point in flexing in the mirror and measuring results that way or just with one another. Instead, the standard is Jesus. As I have loved you, so you love one another. When we're falling short of that command, which is the new command that Jesus gave us, it's his love that's the standard. It's his life that's the standard. Let us measure against him, and are we becoming more or less like him? The last thing that we need for a good workout plan is to be consistent. And in order to do that, I have found that I need the right motivation while working out. And Paul lays it out for us, this beautiful motivation that's, we'll see how we react to it. Are we ready for that motivation? Paul's going to give us the best motivation we could have. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the motivation that Paul wants you to have, and you're going, hold on a second. That doesn't sound very kind or gospelly. Feels like that's a little bit more guilt-ridden than anything else. Far from it, friends. In this, there's this understanding for the Philippian church They've got all sorts of allusions to the Old Testament that I'm going to unpack one in particular, but this one especially. In Exodus 34, 14, God tells Israel that his name is Jealous. Did you know that God's name is Jealous? Not one that we're singing in songs. Oh God, you're jealous. Not, there's not worship songs after that name usually. Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Jealous? I don't know what the Hebrew word is for that. I apologize. Should have, should have gone that way. But jealous God, and he does this because he is um, picking up the pieces after the golden calf. He says, no longer should you, should you go after the other gods of the places where you came from or the place where you're going, for I am jealous for you, not of you, for you. I want everything and all things from you. You see, we're not to fear that God isn't pleased with us or that we're going to lose our salvation, but that it turns out in verse 16 that we're not ready for Jesus' return. That's the fear and trembling here. Because Paul mentions that this, the return of Christ, the day of Christ is on the way. And he wants us to be ready for that. And so I'll, I'll just end this part by just saying, is what you pursued yesterday worth it if Jesus came today? 
Did it ready you for his return or did it weaken your resolve? On every page of the New Testament, there is a warning and an encouragement to get ready for his return. And here's the deal, right? This is why it's not working for our salvation, but working out our salvation. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, God has already been at work in you, O believer. And so I liken it to two particular illustrations. One is electrical and the other agricultural. I don't know which one's going to land with you, so I'm going to throw with both. If your laptop is out of a charge or your phone needs to be charged, what do you do? You plug it into the wall in your home, right? And then you go to work on it. But if your home has no power, there is no point in plugging it into the wall. That's kind of what this is. That God has supplied power to your home, and so you got to plug into the wall and get to work. Okay, if there's no point of plugging into the wall and getting to the work, unless God has already supplied the power necessary to do all things in Christ. That's the electrical illustration. The other is an agricultural. That as farmers, which the New Testament calls us to be, ultimately, we plow and we pray. We put our hands to the plow and we get to work. But ultimately, if you've done anything, any gardening at all, you realize I lack the power to create the crop here. Only God can do that. Only he can provide rich nutrients in the soil and fertilizer, proper fertilizer, the sun that it needs, the rain that it needs. I can't do any of that, but I've still got to plow the ground. There's a cooperation and a partnership that we have with God as we work out our salvation. And here's the good news as we end point one. It is for his pleasure. God is pleased with these efforts. He is absolutely pleased with our workout plan as long as we intend to become more like Jesus and grow up into him. doesn't matter when we fail and stumble and fumble along the way as long as we are pursuing him. He is pleased with us. What good news that we're not working for his approval, but from it. Not for it, but from it. That's the first command. The second command uh, not only just work out your salvation, and this is where conviction lands for all of us. Are y'all ready for this? This is going to be a lot of fun. Not only do I not work out enough, which is very evident, but also, instead of working out, I like to complain about things the way things should be. I don't want to work out, but I'd like a better body. Do all things, it says in verse 14, without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation, twi crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. All things right here, do all things without grumbling or questioning, certainly means all things, but contextually it certainly means everything that is involved with working out your salvation. Everything that's involved with working out salvation. So here's Paul's charge to the Philippian church. Get over yourself and get to work, guys. Like it's not about you or what you want, grumble and complainers. I'm just raising my hand over here on this one. I like to grumble. I like to dispute. I like to whisper. I like to complain. Gives me some sort of great comfort. And yet there is a deep warning here. That ultimately the choice is ours. Fear and trembling or grumbling and disputing. 
God knew your life would be full of difficulties. That's why he had a man named Paul write the epistle of joy from prison. Do you see the irony? He's in prison. He may never get out. And in in fact, at some point, the same Roman prison where he stands or sits today, this dank prison dungeon in the middle of Rome will be where he gets marched out eventually and beheaded. It will end up with his death, one visit or the next. And yet he's calling us to not grumble or complain about these situations that we find ourselves in as a man who is in certainly a situation that would be a place where you would grumble and complain. Fascinating, the irony here. But behind all of this, again, there's these Old Testament allusions. So if you've got your Bible, don't just be in Philippians chapter 2, but go back to Numbers chapter 14. Surely you did your quiet time in Numbers this week? Numbers chapter 14. And I just want to highlight for us just a couple of different scriptures in Numbers 14. If you remember the context of Numbers 14, the nation of Israel is in the desert They've seen God rescue them from the hand of Egypt with the Red Sea and the plagues. They're now in the desert, and God has called them in, uh, in Numbers 13 to go spy out the land of Canaan, and they come back with a, well, not a favorable report, right? Two are good, Joshua and Caleb, they come back, and we could take them. But the 10 that go, they look at the, the, at the land, and they're like, there's no way we could do it. God, God will never come through in this way. God punishes them. He says, well, this ain't good. And this is where we pick up on the story. And I just want to read a few verses as we go. I just want you to see, don't grumble or dispute or question. Have that in your mind. The Philippians had that in their mind as we read now some of Numbers Numbers 14. First, in 1 and 2. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Okay. Well, that's interesting. We go down to verse 11 and 12. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? Did you forget the plagues? Did you forget the the, the, the splitting of the Red Sea? Ah, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. You see what grumbling does? Disinherit them. And I will make of you, Moses, no longer Abraham, of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than this Israel. Oh, Moses ain't having that. He goes on to pray that that does not happen, to remember your reputation, remember your covenant, and then God continues on in this whole discourse, and you go down to verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me fascinating that God would hear these things when we grumble against him with one another. And then he says this in verse 29, your dead bodies, Israel, shall fall in the wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Verse 30, and not one of you shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And then he goes on to say in verse 36, and the women, who, uh, uh, the women, the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, 
The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Pretty rough. And some of you are going, well, thank God we don't serve that God anymore. Are you sure? Jesus was there. Holy Spirit was there. The Father was there. Dictating and determining and judging and ultimately trying to care for the nation of Israel as it got on its feet. You see, in the background of the Philippian church is this echo of Numbers 14. Don't give in to this. Don't make light of our attitudes before God. You see, we too are in a parched land in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Y'all know this. This is not our home. We've got to quit trying to make this place comfortable and peaceful. It's not going to, to do well. You're going to get frustrated over and over again. This place is not our home. We're only here to journey through. We've got to quit trying to fit in here. And not only that, we've got to uh, stand out. And we, you might say, well, how do we stand out? Well, the scriptures are clear if we get back into Philippians 2, right? Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. All right, now the staff warned me not to do this, but I'm going to do it. When you watch the Super Bowl tonight, and let's just say that the halftime show is appropriate for you to watch by some random chance. And you see Rihanna. She's going to be performing, right? Anybody know who Rihanna is? She doesn't perform very much. But she, when you see Rihanna and she performs, shine bright like a diamond, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I want you to think about what he's talking about here in Philippians 2. So when you go to your Super Bowl party and you just go, no, I got to watch Rihanna. I'm like, what are you doing, weirdo? I got to watch Rihanna, I got to hear her say, shine bright like a diamond over and over and over and over again, and it's going to get etched into my brain a million times. I'm going to think about the call for us to shine brightly like stars in the sky, which is what Paul said. I, that's the only thing I could think of. We got done reading this as a staff on Monday, and I was like, what are your thoughts? I'm like, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are, shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> and now it will never leave you, and that's my hope. Will we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, or will we get to grumbling and disputing? And you go, man, what is the big deal? Why will you not get off the grumbling and disputing and questioning? Because it's very clear in Numbers 14 that when we do that, we demonstrate disbelief in our Father's care and provision for us. So how can you stand out? What's the greatest evangelism strategy for you right now in the suburbs? Quit complaining. Quit grumbling. Oh, your marriage isn't what you thought it would be to this point. I know. God knew that too. And he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Quit, quit grumbling. Quit questioning what God has done. Oh, my work is just not fulfilling. I just can't get over the hump with all the inflation and everything else. I know. And God knew that too. And you know what he says? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and do all things without grumbling or questioning. You see, invites us to think about a sovereign, good, powerful God that's, remember, exalted above every name and his care for you 
And so he says, and he echoes what Paul, what Jesus said in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, that is the call for us. These are the two commands, and now finally, a vivid picture in the last part of 16 into 18. We're almost done, y'all. Here we go. Holding fast to the word of life. I can't skip over that before we get to the last part. Like the antidote to grumbling and complaining is grasping to the word of life. That's why you've got to be intending to pursue Christ through the reading of God's word, through prayer, through being in community, through being on mission. All these things grow you up. You've got to grasp, cling to the word of life. That's the path. And now the vivid picture in, uh, in what Paul says. Holding fast to the words of life so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This idea, this final illustration that Paul is using is he's saying like, I'm just going to pour myself out like a drink offering. It's an allusion, again, to Old Testament sacrificial law. It's also an allusion to Psalm 22, which is a a prophecy of Christ where he's on the cross pouring himself out for the sake of others. See, life in Christ, if you're catching a theme here, the gift is eternal life, and then it's work it out. It's going to take a lot more work than what you'd wanted. You're even going to have to pour yourself out completely as an offering to God. You will be emptied for others. You see, that's the illusion here that Paul is calling us all to be. And I just want you to see something. Whether or not we live this way affects other people. It's not just my own decision. And whether or not I'm sinful or righteous isn't just like, isn't just have fruit for my life. It also has fruit for your life, doesn't it? And the most obvious example for that is me, the rest of the elders and the leaders of any church. But it also is true of you for any leader that you have. You see what Paul says? That you would do these things, that you would, that you would pursue all of this, that we know it's hard, we know life is difficult. But you would do all these things, and he says it right there in, uh, at the end of 16. So that in the day of Christ, when Jesus comes back, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You want to know why COVID was so hard for pastors and why a lot of good pastors are no longer in ministry? It's because they looked over the church, Big C Church and their church, and they thought, surely we're not this weak in our faith. And it was disheartening for every pastor I know to be like, oh my gosh, we have been so quickly led astray to so chase down so many half-truths and then bring that into our own lives. And apply them as absolute. Your life, friends, your neighborhood leaders, your elders, your deacons, the leaders that you would say, man, these are my spiritual leaders. They're pouring themselves out for your maturity. And whether or not you respond or not is going to either bring them great sorrow or great joy. They're watching. They're pleading. They're praying with you. They don't care that you show up to a gathering. They care that you show up to a gathering so that you can grow in Jesus inside of community. So when they call you and they text you, they go, hey, man, we missed you. We love you. 
how you doing? They're not heaping guilt on you. They're saying, I mean, my joy is dependent on whether or not you grow and you take these things seriously so that we would not labor in vain. So two charges. If you're a leader in here, who brought, no, no, if, if, you're, if you're someone who's being led in here, which is everybody, right? Who is your spiritual leader? Who brought you to faith? Who is helping you in the faith? Because your workout routine with Jesus is going to cause them more joy or more pain than you'll ever know. Have you thought about that? Maybe that keeps some people from sinning this week. Maybe that keeps others um, or, or promotes others and motivates others to pursue righteousness in a different way this week. And for those of you who are spiritually leading others, the more joy you have in those you lead will fuel the amount of sacrifices you'll make for them. Pause. Give thanks for our brother Jimmy and our, our, our brother Pastor Elder Chris for being able to have this relationship in such a way. That's a beautiful picture of the joy that comes with living with one another, pursuing these things with one another for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. May we not give up. By your Spirit, help us not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest of righteousness. So may we pursue you. May we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to finish the good work that you've begun. And as you are so steadfast in finishing your work, I pray that we are not a people who would opt out of these commands, who would not skip these workouts that you've called us to pursue, but that we would continue truly to work out our salvation with your power and for your pleasure. And as we do with the dark world looking on, may we shine like stars. Not so that we can look good. That's not the point of any good light. A good light in the dark is just to show the way to what we're looking for. And they're all looking for you, oh God, they just don't know it. So may we be good lanterns and flashlights to the truth, to the word of life. That you, O Jesus, came to save sinners, of which we are the worst. Would you remind us of those truths and call us, encourage us by your spirit to press on in the faith. And may we bear fruit over time. May we be that beautiful, fertile soil that your son Jesus talked about in the scriptures. That we'd produce much fruit. Can't do it by ourselves, and so we plow, but Lord... We're dependent and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.